Welcome to No Challenges Remaining, coming to you again from beautiful Birmingham, England. We cannot get enough of the big ham. I'm Ben Roth, and we're joined by Courtney Nguyen. Hello, Courtney. Hello, Ben. We are here at the tournament, which just ended with Petra Kvitova winning the singles title, and the team of Tomeo Babos and Kiki Mladenovic winning doubles about 30 seconds ago. And we are mostly just here to tee up an interview we did with the media manager here, Eleanor Preston, who we tried to interview for NCR once before last year, uh, which had some technical difficulties. We're very grateful she's back with us here, and uh, hopefully you enjoy this chat, which I thought went uh, covered some interesting bases and some things we talked about before, but she also, in her role, has some more unique insights yes. into the way the and, sport is run and in our world is run. Exactly. I mean, Eleanor is, is kind of a big deal uh, within this sport. Um, and uh, just to get her insight, she's uh, done pretty much any media role that has uh, ever been required within tennis, being a tennis journalist to start, also doing media management, also has like, you know, consulted with athletes as well, worked a bunch of different Olympics doing that. Um, so she is an omnipresent, thankfully, omnipresent force, uh, kind of one of those invisible hands that maybe on the people on the outside don't get to see as much. But uh, for us, whenever Eleanor is running a room, uh, thing, you know that things are going to move very, very smoothly and rationally and uh, just because she knows exactly what she's doing. And um, so, yeah, it was very cool to, to get her on the podcast as we've wanted to for a while. And with that behind the curtain aesthetic of NCR, hopefully we strive for that in mind. Here is our interview with Elle. Here at the beautiful Edgbaston Priory Club, we are here, Courtney and I are here with Eleanor Preston, who is the media manager of the tournament, which is now the Nature Valley Classic, uh, new title sponsor. Hello, Eleanor. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How would you, um, we'll get into your, let's start with what you do now, I guess, first way. What, what was your, we're in doubles final now, so the finish line is in sight. But what has been, what is your role with this tournament? What is a, a media manager? If that is maybe not your exact title, but what do you, what do, you do? No, that, that's the exact title. I mean, here it, it's really, it's quite simple. It's customer service for media. So it's making sure that we make it easy for media to cover the tournament and be they be, you know, if they're broadcasters, if they're photographers, if they're writers, if they're, you know, doing stuff for social or digital. Um, those are our customers and, and our job is to make it as easy as possible for them to provide coverage of the tournament so it's, it's multifaceted you know it could be anything from sitting in the photographer's pit during the final making sure that the photographers and the cameras TV cameras can work together and everybody gets what they need to um, making sure there's enough water on a boiling hot day as we are <laughs> in, in tropical Birmingham yes it was uh, 76 degrees today Fahrenheit mm, summer in summer there was, in a, the there, UK. Was a, there was an announcement that it was extremely hot which I, I did giggle at but it's warmer than usual that's for sure all things are relative yes. um, <laughs> we did almost have to use the heat rule in Birmingham last year yeah. so it there's a lot of jokes it was very hot exactly so um, yeah, so as I said, it's a multifaceted role, but basically we want to generate as much coverage of the tournament as possible, and, and, and my job is to make it easy for the people doing that. How do you do that? I mean, obviously in terms of, of making, of wanting, obviously, as much coverage as you possibly get, obviously this year World Cup is a big deal in terms of yep. taking up space in, in newspapers and in media space generally, but on the whole, because obviously you're the media manager, not just at in Birmingham, but at other esteemed 
well-beloved tournaments like Wuhan, for example, uh, Zhuhai also. But, um, but, but what, what can you do as a media manager to set that up? I think being empathetic is a good starting point. You know, I was a journalist, so I've been in the position of needing, you know, needing Wi-Fi to work, of having to file on a deadline, of having a big workload, of, you know, all of those factors. So I think the first starting point is understanding, right, what would I need? How can, and how can we provide that? So in pra- it's, it's really some of it's firefighting, some of it's going and, you know, there's a cameraman here and he's filming and going and sorting out that problem and making sure that, yeah, it's fine for him to film. What do you need? Have you got a problem? No, you can't go there, but you can go here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it's, it's facilitating, it's firefighting, it's, it's providing, hopefully, a, a friendly, open um, and useful environment for journalists and, and all media to work in. So is this, a, is this a year-round job for you in, in for Birmingham, or is it, is it ramp, when does it ramp up, I guess? Um, it, it, it sort of ramps up probably in about April. Um, I mean, we I have a company called the Amelia Group, which uh, I know you guys are familiar with, which I started with Faye Andrews. So this is one of a number of tournaments that we're working on. And I mean, just to give you some sense of perspective in the, in the course of our year, I've also worked this year on the Australian Open, on the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, um, I worked on the Gold Coast doing swimming um, at the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth Games. Games yeah. Yeah. Um, I then worked at Roland Garros in the interview team there. At the moment, we are working through the grass court season on... Uh, we worked in uh, Loughborough in Glasgow. We working, we're working in Southsea next week. We're working at the Boodles next week. Surbiton, Manchester, Birmingham probably forgotten one but we're we're out and about Ilkley. and we're busy no we don't work on Ilkley oh no Ilkley don't, get go, don't go to Ilkley yeah. Um, but yeah we, we work on a lot of so we've got events running concurrently we've got a fantastic team that goes and works for us um, so it's a very busy time but it's a great time but in tennis is is, is a large part of our, our business but it's not the only part of our business so I'm guessing one of the things that probably comes in terms of the ramping up relatively earlier and, and can come late to is credentialing I'm guessing you are a key person. I know that's something that we get questions about from people, like how do I get credentials for tournaments? How do tournaments decide? How do you decide for, and it's probably different for the various different tournaments you do with the, with the sort of what you're looking for, what standards, if that's the right word, might be for who you're going to let in, or how, how does that, in, in broad terms, I guess, how do, you, how do you make those sort of decisions, in this, especially in this ever-changing media landscape? I think, I think, it's a balance between having established media outlets that you know are going to deliver value to the tournament um, but at the same time allowing new people who who maybe haven't covered that much tennis before for example or haven't had credentials for tournaments because everybody has to start somewhere and also for you know for, for us as an event we know that the local tennis fans in Birmingham know who we are know where we are and they will buy tickets but there's a whole load of people who don't know where we are. So, for example, here, you know, there's a big student population in Birmingham. It's got thriving university culture. So we want, how do we reach those people? So we allow a student radio station to come and get a credential here because I want those people to know we exist. And I also want them to see tennis as something fun and cool and, and exciting that they can engage with. So, so I think it's, it's some of it's common sense, some of it's experience, some of it's also talking to other tournaments. So I talk to other media managers. Um, I'm obviously in touch with lots of other people within the sport. And, and I think, so there's a consultative process that goes on as well. I mean, the, the, the primary concern is always is security. You know, security at these tournaments is a key issue. And sometimes, you know, 
people forget that and actually we need to we need a secure environment also there are sometimes limitations on how much physical space yeah. you have in a media center and, it's not and a what's, huge room here yeah. it's not a huge room here and and a lot of tournaments are like that um and so you have to bear that in mind you know you sometimes do have to turn people down because physically it's not workable to have more than a certain number and I mean, we obviously have a lot of people who listen to the podcast who are who are aspiring uh, journalists, tennis journalists as well. So um, I've tried as best as I can to give people an idea of like what I was like or what I tried to do in my first few credentials that I got in terms of, you know, uh, being, you know, doing the job that you want to do while also, you know, f- making sure that this isn't the last credential you're ever going to get. Um, so in terms of giving like advice to like newer uh, writers and people that would want to like what do you what do you look for what are red flags what are you what what at the end of the week you're like wow that person was I took a risk and it actually paid off quite well like what are the the, the benchmarks I guess or yeah. vice versa yeah yeah I mean I think I think there are a couple of factors as always I, I think you know one of the one of the things is is if I don't hear about you that probably means you've come you've covered the tournament you've left and I'm very happy if you just come and say hi and buy it hi at the beginning and buy at the end and and I will help you if you need help but um, you know that that is a little bit of a golden rule is I don't want oh this journalist asked me a funny question or this journalist tried to get into a player area you know respect the credential respect the areas that the credential allows you to go understand that security teams are briefed to stop you going to places and it's not it's not personal, it's just because we have a responsibility to keep player areas secure. Um, understand the spectators have priority over everybody because they've paid. Mm-hmm. They've paid to come and watch. So, you know, if you want to take photos, that's fine. But if somebody asks you to move, move. You know, if volunteers yeah. uh, instruct you, then, then follow it. So I think it's just respecting your environment, working with other people. Um, you know, I've been in that situation. I've been credentialed at a tournament for the first time. I was a tennis journalist for 10 years, and I, start, like everybody else, I started being, you know, oh, I've got a credential, and I've got a credential for two days, and then I've got a credential for this week. And, and so I, I can empathise with it. Mm-hmm. But, but you've got to, I think, you know, it is a privilege. It's not a right. Uh, it is, every credential is granted at the discretion of the tournament and can be taken away at the discretion of the tournament. And... You know, we want everybody to get along and be happy, but but I think it's respecting the credential, respecting the environment, and respecting your fellow journalists as well. So you mentioned in everyone in Birmingham, you think pretty much, and tennis fans in Birmingham know the tournament will be here every year, um, and it's a very British grass court season is probably the most sort of established, or at least you know culturally ingrained, arguably time of year cycle of the whole sport. Comparing that to Wuhan. How, how, what, what, I'm just curious, and Zhuhai too, which is also an even newer tournament, I think by maybe one year. Um, how has that been, as someone with a background in British tennis, which is very, yeah, a lot of roots here, going into the Chinese market, into new cities that hadn't had any professional tennis before, or any major professional tennis at least, what, what was, what was your first arrival there like, and what was that? Did, did, is this experience relatable to that at all, or is it a whole, whole different ballgame? It's definitely relatable. I mean, obviously, apart from anything else, you bring you bring your experience to an event like that. And part of my role there is to help the local team upskill and learn how to deliver media operations at a, at a major sporting event. So, so definitely, it's relatable. I mean, I think the bottom line with with any event and tennis in particular is we need to reach the people who aren't who don't know we exist. We need to preach beyond the choir, and that's yeah. the same in Wuhan 
and it is, as it is in Birmingham. Because while there are lots of people in Wuhan who have no idea what tennis is, an awful lot of people in Birmingham who don't know that this event exists. And, yeah. and so the goal is always the same, really, whether you're in Wuhan, whether you're in Birmingham, whether you're in Surbiton. It, it's to preach beyond the choir. You, you had mentioned before the Amelia Group, which is the company that you, you founded with Faye. But um, one of the interesting things about the the company that I think I've heard from you, and I think I've heard it from Faye as well, is that obviously like uh, it's an all-woman-run media management company um, that works within the sports and entertainment industry, which is a very specific uh, niche that, that you're kind of moving into, especially within the British market. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like, if you can give, like, some background on that, like, why you've opted for this, uh, this, this vision and, and how it's been, you know, uh, since you founded it. Well, it's interesting because obviously Faye and I founded the company in October 2010 and the whole all-woman thing did not occur to us. We just were both female, so we, that, that was sort of how it was. Um, we didn't have much other option, really. So it wasn't, we didn't really think about that at all. It wasn't, you know, a kind of conscious part of a brand or anything like that. Um, but then we kind of realised that it was something of a virtue, that it was our USP and that it was it was something that, particularly when you're working with female athletes, that actually they were drawn to us because they wanted, you know, a female voice and they wanted a different perspective on things. So so it's kind of, we kind of, we didn't fall into it, but, but we realised that actually it was something that, that marked us out from other organisations in sport. Um, so... We're actually not not an all-female company anymore because oh, okay. we have a nice man doing the accounts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we we do work with a lot of we do work with a lot of women, and and I think we it, we do have a different perspective on things and a different sometimes perhaps a different way of doing things, and also you know, Faye and I have different personalities. Mm-hmm. We have very different strengths, different weaknesses, and we we hopefully complement each other very well. And and so we're bringing different things to the table. Mm-hmm. And as I say, we've got some amazing people that work for us as well who also bring different backgrounds, different skills, different levels of experience. You were a female sports writer in the UK, which is, like most places in the world, a fairly male-dominated ecosystem, sports writing. How, what was that experience, how does that experience that you had there, what was it like and how does it color what you do now in terms of making um, your tournaments as friendly and open to all as possible? And uh, how much have you seen that landscape change, I guess, since you would have started? It's definitely changed since I started. I probably first started writing about tennis in two, year 2000, um, and it's definitely got uh, more diverse. The press room has got more, more diverse, not as diverse as I'd like it to be, but more diverse, a younger, uh, a different mix of personalities and people. I think, and I think that's great. I think that's what that those it brings different viewpoints on tennis, different perspective, just different ways of looking at our sport, and, and all of that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously informs a lot of the work that I do now. Um, you know, I, it, it was an amazing experience and fantastic, and I feel very proud of it. And and at the same time, I I kind of feel for journalists now and their workload mm-hmm. a lot of the time and the constant the twenty four hour demands that there are for content, which yeah. different than just filing once for print. Yeah. yeah, which is probably hadn't really quite started when I finished as a, as a tennis journalist. So so I, I do feel great empathy for, for journalists and just the sheer appetite for content that there is. And I, and I try and kind of try and think laterally about how I can help provide that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what's useful is, is I've, I've, I feel I've got an ear for a storyline mm-hmm. of what is, oh, that's interesting, that's a nice line, oh, you know, and, and anything that makes me go, oh, I didn't know that, is going to be 
have the same effect on a reader and is going to be of interest to, to media. So I think I'd, I definitely use a lot of what I learned from that time, a lot of what I take from that time in, in the job now. In terms of another hat you wear in the, uh, well, you, you referred to this being on the interview team at the French Open. Uh, one of the things you do there is you are a moderator of press conferences. Uh, so you're in the front of the room, sort of in the beginning of the transcript saying questions, please. And hopefully you don't have to be in the transcript again, but sometimes things come up and, you, and there must be moderation uh, of things. How did, how did you first get into doing that? And what does that role entail, being a, a moderator? Um, I first got into it really because it's a facet of the media operations role that, that we do. I mean, you look at WTA communications and ACP communication managers, they're moderating interviews all the time, just yeah. not perhaps on quite as big a stage as you are at, at Roland Garros. So it's, it's, it's sort of part of the same thing of, of facilitating and, and, and you really you're a guardian of the, of the press conference process. You're there to protect the press conference process and make it happen and make it a good experience for both sides. But ultimately, its purpose is to generate coverage of the event and so that's always the bottom line is, is to you know make sure it happens and sometimes it's it's just about timing it's about making sure that the press conference is the right length so that we can still get all the tv interviews done and the radio interviews done and it's making sure that everybody you can't always give everybody what they want but you can give everybody what they need and that's that's really the sort of the motto that we kind of work by is there a, a system to when i don't know it's particularly in-demand press conference and there's you know seven hands that go up right at the beginning how to sort of organize their, their lineup of questions or your your we call it a batting order and in, in you in, probably in cricket they would use that too so how, how do you uh how do you do that well i think the journalists sort of do that for themselves i think the 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 answer is that you try and be fair uh, you try and be fair and you make sure that everybody gets their opportunity and i i think something i always bear in mind is that you know, the loudest voice is not necessarily the best question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everybody asks questions in different ways, you know, different cultural backgrounds, different, you know, men and women ask questions in different ways. People from different cultural backgrounds ask questions in different ways. Not everybody's a shouter. Um, sometimes the shouters, you know, will have a, a perfectly good question and it's fine for them to get a question, but, but maybe you also make sure there's room and, and space for the other people who are not who are not the kind of people who talk over the top of other journalists. But, you know, I think most press conferences go really well because players and journalists know what they're doing. They do it all the time and there's a nice rhythm and a good, there's nothing like a good press conference. I think some of the favourite moments from, you know, my experience of sport as a fan have been moments in press conferences that make you giggle. Yeah. And, you know, no. and, and so I love, a, I love a good press conference personally. <laughs> do you have any memorable moments from ones you've moderated? They're all they're all quite different, really. Every press yeah. conference is different because it's a mixture of the personalities that are in it, and it's a, and it's dictated by the personalities of the journalist and the personality of the player and the circumstance. You know, um, players you know players who've lost are in a different situation to players who've, who've won, who've had a great match, and you know, it's the dynamics are different. You certain you know a press conference with French journalists and a French player will have a different dynamic to a press conference with. A Spanish journalist and Spanish players. So those are, you know, those are all factors which which keep it interesting and keep it keep it different. Keep jumping in here uh, with. Let you get a word in, does he? I would keep do, look- I need, do I need to moderate this podcast? <laughs> I was going to say I keep looking at you and, you and you keep looking back at me. So last one, Ben. Last one. Thank, I've, I've, gosh, I've heard that before. Continues to happen in a way that's that's workable. Um, you know, it's. We had a situation where Venus got emotional at Wimbledon last year, which, which 
I, I wasn't moderating, but I, I saw, I watched on TV like like everybody else. And it's not, um, it's awkward for everybody, isn't it? It's awkward. And, you know, especially when you've got British people involved. <laughs> like any public displays of emotion. So. <laughs> what do we do? What oh, do we no. do? No. <laughs> Clench. Cup of tea. <laughs> Don't start. It's a cup of tea is a solution to many problems, no, Courtney, figured, as you, sh- as you should that, learn with this all your is time. my suggestion. All your time in this country. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but, I mean, in terms of, uh, like, the way that the press rooms are, like, media management going forward, like obviously we talk a little bit about the past and where things have have come from from before but what what are the evolutions and the changes that you see with respect to this process obviously within the last couple of years we have like more mix zones on the ATP side that's an interesting one i've definitely got asked a lot of different people about their opinions as to whether or not and a lot of people who come from the Olympic side mm-hmm. who really 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 like it um, and then journalists some journalists really like it because it's faster I've definitely heard other journalists particularly women say it's a physical process and you get pushed out and you reward shouters and like that the the stayed proper press mm. conference actually is the level playing field for everyone so I've, I've heard different things across the board so that's one of the kind of significant changes I guess that's happened um, within the last few years, I'm trying to think well, of other ones. I feel like ones. it's receding, though. Because at least it's the, maybe the select number of the roster tournaments I've done lately, I haven't done a mix on all year. It's still very much. It's still there. You weren't in any Wells. I wasn't in any Wells this yeah, year, yeah, so, but yeah. And what's your experience with a mix I don't like them. I mean, cause, especially because I think in probably back in when you were starting, 2000, it was more about writing match reports and more writing game stories about things that happen in the matches. And that's so, so little of what my stories especially, and I think a lot of people's stories are now. If you need immediate, you know, quick reaction to what happened at that break point at, at, at three all in the in the third, it's great. But I'm, if I'm asking about, have you ever thought about, you know, like if some lines are thicker than others on the court or whatever nonsense <laughs> I'm coming up with any day, you know, sounds like I'm sure you've asked that. Immediately reading, I actually having it, but I'm filing that away. It's pretty good because <laughs> uh, they are. There's some variation. Anyway, that then it's hard to go off topic, and you also see players who come off after losses and are still kind of boiling and say things they would probably regret seeing in print. I've seen a few examples of that happening in mixed zones before. And so, but I've been to Olympics where um, it works generally, but it's just different logistically and tournaments have so many different layouts and they aren't really usually built for mixed zones and having a a literal place where players must cross through on their way off court between court and locker room. And most tournaments just don't have that being media accessible, so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've done six Olympics, so I love a mix zone. But I also can see, I can see where they work in some ways, and they work for some journalists, and they don't work for others. I think they work brilliantly for broadcasts, and I think mm-hmm. we'll see that yeah, more definitely. and more. And I think we are seeing that more and more across lots of different tournaments because that's a that's just a win. Yeah. I could see a balance between the two. I, I could see a balance where you had flash quotes done in a mix zone environment, for example, where you had um, perhaps a host broadcaster doing two or three questions as someone comes off court and you let the agencies in there or or you just put that on a feed in a press room and then you do I would I would personally like to see more round table interviews Mm. I like I like that environment I think that's easier for those slightly quirkier questions I think it's less confrontational less adversarial you know you don't have a player sat behind a desk and people facing them, you have a kind of circle the way we're sitting right now. Mm-hmm. I think that brings out different storylines and a different reaction from the players. And I think I could see more of that. I, I think it's I think it's perhaps finding a balance at the moment. We've got a lot of press conferences and everything's quite 
formulaic yeah. and maybe there's room to kind of have a little bit of a mix and I think it, I think the important thing is to try and is to not be afraid to experiment a little bit with different ways of doing yeah. things like mix zones because you know I think the mix zone that having the London 2012 Olympic tennis event at Wimbledon and the mix zone operating there actually had a bit of an influence on um, ATP and the WTA operationally after that and I think that's a a good thing because we need to find different and new ways of doing and and especially at the Grand Slams what you've got to remember is the number of credential media goes up each year so you've got to find different ways of servicing everybody and making sure that everybody gets a little bit in terms of media relations we're in the middle of a England World Cup campaign which always which we watched according to I think we mentioned we did mention on the last show no, I don't. No, no, no. That, that that impossible Wait, you know, job documentary. Oh. I know. Yes, England just scored six goals against Panama. You're very welcome that we let Panama in the tournament. Yeah, uh, that was you. that was all our doing, actually. Yeah. Um, in terms of the sort of um, the word I'm going to use in some framing is adversarial relationship that players and media sometimes it's framed as. In terms of players, you know, in terms of there being gotcha questions or tra- traps or whatever and tricks, and this happens. All over. I think it probably happens most in Britain. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say Wimbledon, especially with the what you would call news reporters, which are we would call tabloid reporters, who are there looking for some sort of sensational scandal or just some ridiculous thing to put in stories and, and poking at players in a different way than we see other places. Have you seen that uh, evolve? And, and as a media manager, do you see yourself at all as a, a gatekeeper for that? Because you did have, I don't know. I'm guessing the, in the Conta roundtable that started, it might have been more after coming off the Nottingham match where she lost. Or, or you know got upset at the end and walked off court and things like that I don't know I, how as a media manager are you on guard for those things or is it just part of the part of what has to be there and there's no stopping it I think I think an important it's an important point to make is that the vast majority of interaction interactions to medias and players are not adversarial yeah. at all they're yeah. really friendly and it's very rare that you get journalists trying to trip up players and I think it's I think it's an important point to make because sometimes the perception of media in our country particularly is that you know journalists are going to be out to get and actually journalists are great for the sport media is absolutely vital to the sport we wouldn't have sponsors if we didn't have media you know they are an indirect revenue driver for tennis so they're not a you know they're not something that we should be negative about so I think that's a that's a very important point um but also no I don't I mean I think players are I think the job of the people around players and is to talk to them about some of the issues that might come up and talk through how they might how they might handle those situations and it's something journalists always talk about you know media training as if it's this awful you know robotic process where we kind of you take players into a room and you drum in four or five sentences they have to repeat and and actually it's not about that it's about finding ways of of giving a good and and valid answer that doesn't no, you know, that doesn't sound as though you're you know criticizing somebody or starting an argument or being um, adversarial or just so. even being boring I mean or there, there, there are plenty boring, of players yeah. here especially some of the new players on tour or younger players routinely like they just come in and they sort of give what aren't much more than yes or no answers to yeah. questions instead of being and that doesn't fill a story for us it's not expansive it's, we, we like yeah. anecdotes we like opinions we like Certain, you know I mean, takes yeah. that's fine if that's yeah. the sort of person you are but not everybody is jazz handsy you know oh yeah not everyone is um, but they can be outside of interview context and they don't learn how to yeah. translate that skill into the interview and they're told 
and I think some of the initial media training they get at a very young age is don't say anything controversial and they want yeah. to not saying anything at all which is not good either and they don't get covered at all which is not good for them yeah, their own no. revenue driving as I, you say but I think it's really important that the, 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 the organisations within tennis find a way to work together to deliver a good player education program of which media is part of it so that they, the message that they get is consistent um, and that you know, often the advice that players get about media is not coming from people who know anything about media. It's Definitely coming not. from, um, you know, it could be coming from, you know, coaches or parents or boyfriends, boyfriends yeah, or and, girlfriends, you know, whatever. people. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's. I think it's about perhaps being proactive as a sport and you know within the different governing bodies and finding a way that that there is a deliver, uh, you know there is a consistent message about media for players and it's not don't say anything watch what you say if somebody said to you and you're about to go into a <laughs> press conference and you're sitting behind a desk and there's lots of people facing you that you don't know especially if you're a young woman and that room is largely male white yeah. male um of a certain age middle age probably yeah. it, it you know and and the last thing anybody said to you is don't say anything or watch what you say you're probably not going to give much more than one word answers are you because yeah. it's human nature yeah. but if somebody goes in there and says hey just be yourself and you know this might come up and if that comes up let's have a think about how you might answer that one right. you know and, that, and I think there are there are just different ways of doing it but there are also we're very blessed in the women's game particularly I would say with some people who give great press conference I think you know we've got some people who are really interesting and loquacious and funny and they're not necessarily always the most high profile players but there mm -hmm. are people like an Andrea Petkovic who you know is just going to give a brilliant yeah. thoughtful interesting you know tonally diverse yeah. press conference that you're always going to get something out equally I think Azarenka you know somebody who can speak really well mm -hmm. I think Joe Conta speaks oh, yeah. particularly really well good. on certain issues you know there are Serena I thought was wonderful mm -hmm. Roland Garros in in you know, talking about balancing out, talking about her private life and her and her tennis and and being, you know, letting it, letting her kind of human yeah. side out. So, so, so I think we're actually in a really good place in terms of people that we've got to talk to. In terms of that, as a moderator, I guess, maybe, and I guess as a journalist, you might notice it too, but maybe more explicitly as a moderator. Do you notice a vastly different type of questions that male players get versus female players? Um. I don't mean to put you on the spot if you don't have an answer ready. For no, that, I don't think I do have an answer ready, but it's an interesting yeah. point. I mean, I'm sh it does definitely happen. I think the the biggest differences are, are sometimes cultural, actually, mm. rather than, you know, that, that Romanian journalists will ask questions in a different way to British journalists, will ask questions in a different way to American yeah. journalists. I think that's that's where I see the differences more than particularly across the genders. I don't know. What do you think, Courtney? Um, well, it's been a while since I've been in an ATP press conference, um, but I do. I mean, I, I, it was my experience when I did cover both tours that the, the types of questions were were quite different. I mean, there's a lot of Venn diagram, you know, overlap, but I think that the guys would get far more questions really about their tennis, mm -hmm. uh, about the game, about technical things, about strategy, things like that. And I felt like the women got far fewer of those sorts of questions. So they would get, you know, more lifestyle driven, like, so what do you do when you're not playing tennis? Like, you know, what are you reading? Where'd you go shopping? And those are all fine questions. They're not bad questions. Maybe the guys should get more the of that. The guys should get more of that too. I mean, yeah. when you were talking about kind of just, um, you know, the, as a player going in there and being human 
and showing your human side. I do think that with the women, there's far more of that because of some of the questions are a little bit more less tennis based and actually more lifestyle based. And that's great. I like that. I mean, it's it's entertaining, but it's curious to me, like why those questions don't get asked of the guys as much, because that'd be a great opportunity for them to open up about things that are non-tennis. Is it more because they're I don't know if their tennis is deemed more important, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes. I don't know. Or I am only interested in writing about the women if they're wearing something fancy. There's I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know. Or, or maybe that's how blokes talk to other blokes. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. that's, you know, maybe we're going back to a kind of gender stereotype yeah. of that's, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't I'm, know. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think, um, I think it comes back to why, and this is what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, why it's important that the base of media covering the sport is diverse in every possible way, because we need people with different takes who will come in and ask questions, different questions and questions in a different way, because that is what is going to get the good stuff out of our male and female players yeah, is, I mean, is in people coming in and going, yeah, but why do you do that? Right. People, especially people who are new to a sport. Sometimes they ask really, you know, questions that no one else has got round to asking because they've known the player for, and they've been asking that player questions for seven or eight years and then yeah. someone new comes in and asks something and, and it actually opens up something really interesting. Right. So I, I think it comes back to actually is, you know, hoping and, and nurturing uh, a more diverse range of media covering the sport. Yeah, and, and, and it also puts a little bit of onus, I think, on, on members of the media to be as kind of well-rounded as they possibly can be as well in terms of just like not having a singular lens within which like you see the players or the sport. And um, I mean, I had that example in Charleston, like with um, like a bunch of Asian American players played fairly well. And I was kind of in that press room asking them like are your parents okay with you playing tennis and all these people like literally like like I thought they were going to whip their necks out like they like turned and looked at me like what kind of question is that of course their parents I'm like no not in Asian American world like what these kids are doing is rebellious and like I can absolutely understand if Christiane who went to Stanford and got like an, a crazy awesome tech economic degree that her dad's like why are you not working for Ernst & Young this is crazy you know and you're losing money but it but it's again it's like but like it's the listening it's like I don't expect you to know that this is maybe what is you know happening in the Asian American community or like whatever but now that I've like let you know maybe be mindful of that not and everybody wants this not everybody sees this as a goal and her answer should have let everyone know that it was a good question once it once right. one chance yeah. yeah and you know and different people can have different hit different yeah see different things and maybe if I ask the question you know she's like uh, which is what she kind of basically said was like oh you want to go there I was like let's go yeah, you know, if like she knows that I know, and yeah. and she referenced it as well. Like she's like, I mean, look at you. I mean, like you, your parents probably it was pretty difficult too. If you don't go into like me, you know, so but it's yeah, the diversity of the press room is is such a massive thing. I mean, that's it's the biggest, at least in the time that I've worked in it, which is obviously a lot less. But I couldn't imagine, yeah, especially with the girls, like being a lot of those women and what they were looking out at 15 years ago compared to now and what you know how differently then therefore the sport gets kind of covered in the lens that that applies to it i think it's a good thing i think it's i think it bodes well for the future i think it's i think it's what our sport needs more of i think Mm -hmm. particularly for for women's tennis that's that's going to be a big win i think i think our sport needs more of you
but we have to should cut this off because we have things to do and finalists to talk to here in Birmingham. Thank you very much for joining us, Eleanor. Thank you. And we will see you in Wuhan. <laughs> you might see me before that. Okay. Wimby. Thank you very much to Eleanor, and thank you all for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back to you when the Wimbledon draw comes out. Uh, other grass court takes while we have them? I've not, I mean, nothing too crazy happened. I mean, Petra won a grass tile. That's normal. Uh, Roger lost in a final. Didn't look great. Andy Murray came back. That was lovely. Uh, who won the Queen's final? I don't even know. It's still going. Oh, it's still going. Okay. Djokovic and Chilich. It's okay. the longest Queen's final. Good to apparently. see Djokovic back. Good to see Murray back. But on the on the whole, yeah. I mean, I think my, the biggest takeaway that I've had so far, I mean, the chorich result George was out Federer of was a little bit surprising. But, uh, but aside from that, grass quarters are grass courting. Yeah. And I think that that's what you kind of want to see, just like that's kind of a little bit what you want to see during the clay season, which I know on the WTA side was a little bit more unexpected with, with, with Pliskova winning Stuttgart and Coco making that final and yeah. things like that. But for the most part, clay quarters ended up clay courting um, um, during the clay court season. So, so far, it's been the grass quarters. And um, yeah, the Birmingham final four was was a lot of fun just because you had Stritzova and, and Rabarkova. If anybody has WTA TV, I highly encourage you go back and watch that match um, on demand. It was just straight sets, but it was some of the most fun grass courting you will have seen uh, over the grass court season so far. Ash Barty obviously winning last week in Nottingham. Joe Conta finding her legs again. So all in all, very good. But Petra Kvitova throwing down the marker. Uh, uh, just an absurd 2018 that she's putting together. I mean, it's weird to think uh, that she this is this very easily could be and I think statistically is the best Petra we've seen. Uh, and that's saying a lot for somebody who's obviously already had the career that she's had, even regardless of what happened to her last year. So for her to be doing what she's doing in 2018 is, is just absolutely bonkers. Pretty bonkers indeed. And there's a bunch of relevant players uh, we haven't seen on grass, so I should point out. Yes. Venus and Serena, obviously, never almost never play this time of year uh, before Wimbledon. Uh, they will be obviously forces at Wimbledon, both of them we would expect or could be. Um, Maria Sharapova didn't play this week. She was supposed to Madison Keys. I don't know if she's in Eastbourne, Madison. No, okay, so we won't see Madison on a grass warm-up, and she could be a very relevant player here. Uh, Rafa, on the men's side, uh, pulled out of Queens, as he has last several times before. Um, yeah, so w- there's some question marks and some intrigue, and we'll see how the draw shakes out. And it as it be, always uh, is on the grass season, because there's just not enough data points ever leading right. into Wimbledon regarding all the key players, unlike hard courts and, and, and clay. So, But you're but you're right in that like it did feel like the grassers were showing up. And yeah. like when you when you see a stretch of a Rabarakova premier final, like you can guess it's on a grass court. Exactly. You probably should. And, that, and that's pretty cool that... that, that I like surface. I like the irregu- I like seeing the irregularities of the tour and the schedule and the surfaces make sense. And, the, and here everything is pretty much computed. Yeah. With the, again, George mentioned very briefly. He was only one. Had only was I think two and nine on grass in his career before winning Hala. So that that one was out of nowhere completely. Yeah, he is in the past said he hates it. Yeah. So that was obviously like years ago, but but an incredible effort from him in Hala. And Federer didn't play that great really in the last two tournaments in Stuttgart and Hala, but was able to make, obviously, win Stuttgart, make the final in Halle. So, you know, it's the thing is, like, on some, I don't know, it feels a bit uh, two-faced for me to say this, but, like, some results matter, some results don't. And, it, it, like, I'm not, I don't think anybody's any more down on Roger on going the men's into side. Wimbledon. Well, I was going to say, I mean, if Roger had won today, and he would have felt, even if it was, you're not going to get a lot of style points in, in sure. uh, Halle, he, especially in Halle, he looked out of gas, he looked cranky. I watched most of that, almost the whole match against Kudla in the semifinals. He just looked cranky and irritable, um, which is not like him in Hollywood, which is usually a happy place for him. 
but he uh, maybe it's the clothing uncertainty. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, he just seemed a little bit on edge, and he maybe is not as much number one with the, our clear lock favorite with a bullet as maybe he would have been had he won today. Sure. Which I think is healthy, and, and you know I'm happy to fabricate some intrigue for this uh, <laughs> for this men's tournament, honestly, because before this, you know, it was gonna be like we talked about in the last show, not as extreme as Roger and pa- as Rafa in Paris, but the next closest thing is Roger on grass. So. We'll see. Maybe he. Maybe some people can get their shots, and maybe they will see. Huh? You know, he lost a charge. Maybe I have a shot too. Or again, yeah. a death by seven cuts. Exactly. I mean, you know, maybe the field is feeling a little bit closer yeah. to Roger than maybe they thought they were. You know, two weeks ago. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. But again, best of five, Wimbledon. Come on. And with that, we'll see you at the draw. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, do so by liking us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash NCR Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ncr underscore tennis also follow us individually on twitter courtney is at 40 deuce twits and does fine work over at wta underscore insider i'm at ben rothenberg and subscribe to us on itunes other podcasting services leave us reviews on those and all that stuff reviews are good we haven't made a call for reviews lately we might yeah we don't have that many recent reviews we still the reviews we have are great we love them but if you have recent thoughts about us which hopefully they really help you guys they just i mean and i'll say that for any podcast that i'm on like a a, reviews are incredibly helpful especially within the itunes universe yeah so and emails no challenges remaining at gmail.com we'll see you at wimbledon bye bye